Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message.
My name is Greg Downs, once again, and I'm here to do our scripture readings. We have two readings uh, for today. The first is Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Amen. And our second reading is from the fourth chapter of Luke, verses 14 to 20. And uh, it's titled, The Beginning of the Galilean Ministry. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. The word of the Lord. Amen.
of my steps Part of my tongue God, my feet Wash my heart Yeah, show me how to walk Show me how to talk And when I need a brand new song Show me how step in your words. Amen. Join me in the words of preparation. May the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Hello. My name is Diane Rushwoods and I'm a longtime member of Upworth United Church. I think it's been about 33, 34 years, so long time. Uh, and I come to you today as, um, I, I, I call it a message rather than a sermon. Uh, I'm a researcher and an academic, and so this was exciting for me in some ways because I realized that I didn't understand Juneteenth in the way that it needed to be understood. Um, uh, it was pretty perfunctory. You know, I just... Uh, thought that it should be celebrated, but I didn't know why. And uh, that led me to some research that I'm going to share with you. And, uh, but first, I want to give thanks to God for being able to stand before you on this Father's Day and on the second official celebration of the federal holiday of Juneteenth. Okay? Today's message will focus on Juneteenth and the need to continue to support the freedom and the well-being of God's people. I love hidden histories. I always love hidden histories. So I will also discuss John Wesley's fight to end slavery in both Britain and the United States. He is my new superhero. Okay, before he was not my superhero. I didn't know enough. Ah, I am in love. Okay, so his fight to end slavery, and to use him of an example of going past the performative. So using the song that we just sing and ordering our steps 
actually taking steps and actions to bring about change and to be involved and engaged in social justice. So I, he is a perfect example of going into action and taking on oppression in the name of the Lord. And then we'll review Epworth's actions and how we too have taken on an active role in fighting the sin of racism. But first, on Father's Day, I'm gonna hold up a picture. Here's my daddy, you can't see him. But uh, I, it's really important for me to recognize Father's Day today uh, to, um, and I talked to my son, Corey, and I said, so I'm gonna talk about Parents' Day? And he said, no, you won't. You know, at 32, he's pretty aggressive. Uh, and uh, he said, there is Mother's Day. I said, yeah. And he says, and there is Father's Day. I said, uh-huh. And he says, and tomorrow is Father's Day, Mom. By the way, what is my father's number so I can call him and tell him how much I love him? So today, I'm going to acknowledge the importance of our parents, fathers and mothers. It's so important. And even as we grow older and become more independent, those memories are just embedded in us. Sometimes good memories, sometimes not so good memories. And I wonder if we could sit for a second and think about those who have fathered us and call out their names. They could be your father, your cousin, your grandfather, uncle, your school teacher, social worker, pastor, mentor, counselor, but who are those people who did that for you in your life? Can you call out some names? Because um, when they pass our lips, when the names, they come alive again. Continue. Other folks? Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Those names are so important to us. Those are our foundational and our first memories. My father was Tommy Dorsey Rush. Was far from perfect. But he showed up, and he always declared that he loved us. Knowing that I was his child meant a lot to me. My favorite memory of him also, however, is not his parenting me, because he didn't live with us, but his co-parenting my son, Corey. Daddy loved Corey. He leaned into him and embraced him, and it was just amazing. And all my sons, Corey, Alex, and A.G., Love granddaddy, and we're happy to sit with him and listen to him. That was amazing for them and for me, and I'll never forget that. Maybe during coffee hour, we could share some of our favorite memories of our parents, of our, our fathers and our mothers. But the other thing that talking about fathers and, and mothers in this case, parents, reminds me that I'm a child of God and that we are all children of God. And that means so much that we are in that relationship, in that right relationship. Um, so I'm gonna shift a little bit and I'm gonna talk about my, my superhero, John Wesley. While researching this message, I wanted to find out where we were as Methodists in relationship to the emancipation of slaves, the thing that led to Juneteenth. And I focus specifically on John Wesley, one of the founders of Methodism, who stood against and was actively involved in abolitionist actions to the end of his life. 
he fought to end the evil of slavery. I use him as an example because when I talk about, sometimes we're performative where we're just talking about a thing. John Wesley went so far past being, you know, uh, he went being performative and he was actively involved and he had impact on, from the pulpit to the streets to literature to policy and to actually ending slavery in Britain. He had those relationships. He was opposed to the institution, as I said, and he wrote to slave traders and holders and slaveholders, are you a man? Then you should have a human heart. Do you never feel anyone's pain? Have no sympathy? No sense of human woe, no pity for the miserable? Wesley believed in mercy, love, justice, and redemption, and saw none of that in the slave trade and in slave takers and in slave masters. And he was very vocal about that. He influenced his contemporary and friend John Newton, author of a song we're gonna sing today, Amazing Grace, and a known converted slave trader. He convinced him to, he convinced him to present to the British Parliament and talk against slavery based on the experience that he had had as a slaver. He also worked hard on his anti-slavery or the anti-slavery position in the United States with moderate success. We know that the Civil War was, uh, uh, well, that there are people north and south who people who depended on slavery and people who did not. And he had moderate success. He encountered slavery when he came to Georgia between 1736 and 37. And he was appalled. He was appalled by the treatment of slaves. Much later on, he wrote a tract, which I read and I thought was incredible, called Thoughts Upon Slavery, which defined and condemned slavery. He proposed that it was only the discovery of, the United, of America and the need for large amounts of inexpensive labor that brought slavery back. He detailed the manipulations of the slave takers who went to Africa, the horror of the Middle Passage, and the incredibly cruel and barbaric practices of slavery, which included living in constant fear of murder, rape, lynching, cruel punishment, maiming, separation of families, being sold like cattle to enslavers. He did this all of his life. He worked with William Wil Wilberforce, who was a, um, a politician and the leader of the movement to abolish the British slave trade. His last letter of his life was to William Wilberforce, asking him six days before he died, keep the fight going, push for this, help free these human beings who are being treated as subhuman. Wilberforce prevailed in getting slave trade discontinued in 1807 and influenced the Emancipation Act in Britain of 1833. So Wesley did greatly influence the abolition of slavery and the, move, and the, move, and the moment of freedom for slaves in the United States because he constantly pushed for it. He sent tracts and information. He showed up. He talked about it. He insisted that the subhuman status assigned to Africans in America was immoral and financially opportunistic. I am so impressed, as I told you, I have my new superhero. 
Moving to Juneteenth, Juneteenth, and we'll have a, a documentary presentation, Juneteenth Faith and Freedom, after this, because once again, I'm from Louisiana. I was not from Texas. I did not participate a lot in Juneteenth, and I hadn't dug deeply into understanding it. This is an amazing documentary based on looking at the church and its involvement, uh, what Juneteenth looked like, how people left, how they stayed, really important stuff. So, but Juneteenth, as we know, it's a celebration of order number three. So we have the uh, uh, Emancipation Proclamation, which is a nice piece of paper, but in Texas, they decided to ignore it because Texas, well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> they decided to ignore it because they could. And there was no one who came to enforce it. When Granger came and read that all individuals are free and there are no slaves and brought an army to enforce it, it changed things. Um, I'm going to read from a sermon by uh, Pastor David Swanson. This Sunday, remember the news of freedom, which finally reached those enslaved children of God. News which would have been delayed, which had been delayed but could not be denied. The enslaver could not hold back the freedom cry. The flesh traders, the kidnappers, the powerful men who had turned human plunder and exploitation into the nation's most profitable sector. None of them could turn back the word of freedom. The most their pitiful power could do was to slow it down. History tells us that when the transformative word freedom reached the now freed women and freed men, some simply walked away, never to return. Others negotiated for a wage. Spouses and parents who had been separated from each other, stolen from each other, began to search to be reunited. This community built schools and churches and elected hundreds of black representatives to every level of public office until Jim Crow laws came in and were enforced and stopped that progress. But freedom changed everything. It allows me to show you a picture of my daddy who was two generations removed from slavery. And to let you know that he showed up for us and he could show up for us. And he perceived himself to be a man and not subhuman. So the good news, freedom changes everything and Isaiah's prophecy is read by Jesus in the temple. What's the good news? The year of Jubilee, good news for the poor, liberty for captives, captives, release for prisoners, comfort for the mourners, finding and rebuilding relationships, families, fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers searching for their families and building new lives. I will do a new thing for you, is something that we hear. And this was a new thing for Africans in America. June 19th, Juneteenth, is the closest marker we have of everybody knowing that they were free, even though it was not perfect. So please come and, and view the movie, the documentary, if you have the time. I just happen to have red velvet cake and sweet potato pie. I'm never one to really try to bribe people, but you know, if you want to come, please do. 
Next time, and finally, I'm going to talk about Epworth because Epworth has been responding to the urgent need for racial justice, has responded in several ways. And this message is kind of, I took something Kristen had constructed last year and just added to it, modified it slightly. Uh, the Truth and Reconciliation and Racial Reckoning Group researched Epworth's particular history in our church, community, and denomination to understand how racism had affected and shaped our current reality and to begin to name how to reckon and repair, which we heard today, one of the looking at reparations. There are at least two PowerPoint slide decks, excellent ones, that were created by this group that looked at redlining in the area and also Methodism in its very unique way of creating a central district, which was not central, it was just black, um, that covered black churches. So I uh, want to thank us for that. We held, a holy we held holy conversations on race and racism and racial justice in the fall of 2021, which was designed by a group of nine Epworthians that included African-American elders and youth. And the series engaged the full congregation on what had been happening the experiences of persons of color and the importance of intersectional approaches. Ultimately, in this series, we were asked to wrestle with the question of what is God saying to God's people? How is God calling us to witness and act? We completed a racial justice mission statement in fall of 2021. On Juneteenth of last year, we had a community-wide forum after coffee hour where the creators of the Beyond February Witness tribute, where we looked at those who had died in violent interactions with the police, talked about how that art, that activity, that experience had changed them, what they'd learned, what they, how they felt. And we, uh, I don't know if you can disinstall, but maybe you can, we uninstalled that, uh, that, that gallery. And we brought our paintings and pictures inside and we hope that uh, we will be able to create the beyond, uh, we continued and we have a proposal to change our current underutilized chapel into a well-lit gallery space where we can display some of that, that can, and that we can use for art, music, spoken words, small groups, and prayers. So that was an action, and that's what happened. And you've heard the Truth and Racial Reckoning group, which met monthly from May to October 2022, and Katie Johnson has updated us on that. I think finally, no, almost finally, there was a cross-racial group led by pastors Christian Stone King and Debbie Witherspoon, a 13-person joint Epworth Easter Hill, where we actually created relationships and engaged with one another. And they met for, eight part, for an eight-part Just Faith curriculum on faith and racial healing. And the group discussed books and videos on the history of racism in the United States, including The Color of Compromise, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, and the Angelus Project, 40 Days of Prayer for the Liberation of American Descendants of Slavery. And they continue to meet. And they continue to meet informally, and they're making plans, and we'll have more concrete plans soon on how they will continue to go forward. 
We had a, um, a group that started looking at the internal assessment, an internal assessment on racial justice. Um, this group met several times to discuss the use of a dismantling racism, okay, this is long, dismantling racism, congregation, no institutional anti-racism racism, assessment, an assessment. Uh, and the group has to determine whether it's an appropriate tool for Epworth. It's a comprehensive document that covers church history, denominational affiliation, education, finance, personnel. And finally, we had a BIPOC speakers group. And the speakers committee was charged with bringing in outside speakers to discuss race, racism, and anti-racism in a faith context. And Reverend Dr. Dale Witherspoon of Easter Hill presented to us, followed by Dr. Sharon Jacobs of the Claremont School of Theology. The group plans to invite a third speaker in the fall, and suggestions are welcome, and Greg Downs is the contact. So, so those are our many actions. We must re review things to make sure that we are current, as we can be, work with our new pastor to update her on our ongoing efforts, and continue to live into our racial justice statement. statement. May God bless you and keep us as we live and work through and beyond the spirit of Juneteenth. Amen.
been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.